Good morning, Interweb. Welcome back to the Artifexian podcast. In this month's episode, we start with various assorted items of follow-up and discussion. Ukulele back, non-apology apologies, propaganda posters, religion, that kind of thing. Any cairn, a named character dies, brackets, will die, or did they, brackets, or will they, only time will tell. We go on to figure out nasal vowels for the Ibeski language. Spoilers, the North Sea Germanic nasal aspirant law number two got yeeted immediately by Bill. And we round off proceedings with Bill giving us his thoughts on Avatar The Last Airbender. All that, plus lots more, in this month's episode. Oh, shit. I shouldn't have done this on recording. We should have done this before recording. But I, I want to know, have you heard about the juicy, juicy internet drama that involves uh, Colleen Ballinger? Oh, it's so bad. Oh, my God. So have you seen the ukulele song? <laughs> I haven't watched the video itself, but I watched Anthony Fantano's review of it. Oh, he um, did a review. I didn't know that. That is yeah. golden. That is absolutely golden. I, I... I, so I've been following this rather closely because, as we've already established, I love trash TV. Um, mm. And this definitely falls into, like, TLC. Real Housewives of YouTube. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, and I was like, oh, at some stage she's going to have to come out and make an apology uh, for all these things. And then her apology video came up and I was like, and I, a connoisseur of YouTube apologies, was like, I'm in, let's go. And I opened the video and then the minute she picked up the ukulele, I like, I audibly <laughs> gasped. I was like, oh, no, don't. Oh, please. And then she started playing. And I was like, that. I was like, what universe am I in? And then like, I had to remind myself, the woman is like, I think she's late 30s or 40s. And it's like, you're a whole ass adult. And you thought that this is an appropriate thing to do? It was insane. Yeah, I, yeah she, she's like 36, I think. So she's like not that much older than us. <laughs> no, exactly. And like, you know, I think I'd have enough cop to be able to, be able to like, you know, if I was accused of, of grooming, um, even if, like, let's just work on the assumption, probably a false assumption, that you were entirely uh, innocent of that. It is not appropriate to address these things through the medium of like musical theatre. Like, yeah. that's that's not right. Like, come on. <laughs> it's just insanity. Anyway, I have, and I, I've been, over the past few days, uh, every so often, some other person I follow reviews the um, the the apology. I like Vosh and things um, did that, and Hassan and all, all that crack. And it's just, it's so fun watching people have the same sort of like shocked reaction to this. Like the same sort of like mouth, <laughs> mouth aghast or mouth on the or draw on the floor being like oh, no and then, and then the best thing as well is that it's like okay maybe there was like a little musical intro right and then we get into like serious time after that but it's like 12 minutes it's a 12 minute ukulele song that had to have been composed yeah. thought about the lyrics had to have been written unless she's some like amazing performer I would imagine, given the mental state she's in, she probably didn't hit it out in one take either. So exactly, like, that was going to be my point, yeah. So you'd have to take takes of it, and there's no cuts that I could see, so it is a 12-minute straight performance without ever forgetting any lines or anything, which is really difficult to do. So, like, just imagine being like, I'm going to record my apology video, and I'm going to dedicate the entire morning to getting all these takes to it. It is, it is just... Like, it probably is the worst apology I have ever seen on YouTube. It is, well, it's not even an apology. It's a non-apology. But the sort mm. of, 
apology adjacent video. Um, it is hilariously bad. <laughs> like, just I love it so much. Not to make light of the situation, I just want to say, um, you know, <laughs> like obviously these are serious allegations. But if we just park that and like, let's hope that maybe you know, if they are as serious as they are, that like actual police get involved, that would be kind of nice. So we can just let professionals deal with that. But as a sort of like content sort of thing, it's just it's just hilarious to follow this. Like it's just it's insanity. Um, anyhow, should we start the show? Let's start the show. <laughs> uh, Bill, I had a. a, a pretty rough day yesterday and i was like bill mm-hmm. I, i'm finding it very hard to get anything done would you be able to do the show notes in prep for um today's recording bill uh kindly obliged given that he's a great bloke um True. but it means that i don't know what what the sort of what's going to come up so bill's in charge um this time not for a meme but just because it makes practical sense so bill take it away uh well let's open the show with a 10 minute hymn to bill yes let's let's do that (laughs) okay uh we're gonna start with some follow-up um people seem to generally enjoy the lang building for the avesky language from last episode yeah uh, and i think uh, i'm i'm thankful that uh people are people like it because this is going to be the con lang avenue in artifacts in towers and i'm glad people are on board with it um and I need to admit that I actually forgot three words. I saw this in show notes and I was like, oh God, these three words are probably going to end up breaking all the prep I've done. So I would like you to tell me these three words, please, Bill. Okay, I, I don't think they will because they have the same kind of mouthfeel for me. So I reckon they're... they're oh, they're already um, in the dock. Fantastic. Yeah. So the, the three words are Mied Pivan. He was the brewer from that that episode uh halev was the baker who he definitely didn't steal a little grain from and uh okarev was the the member of the supply committee he was writing to sorry second name again i'm trying to just put it into ipa halev halev yeah and then the next one okarev um o o okarev okarev rev 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 Rev. Yeah. And Mied Pivan, not Mien. Oh, thank you. You're looking at the dock too. Yeah. Um, we should say there's going to be a lot of looking at the dock. So uh, uh, we're going to record our screen later, folks. Uh, I'll let you know when you can you know, switch to YouTube or something like that, because you're, we're going to need to write stuff on top of what we're doing. It's very hard to do. It's just purely in audio form. Um, Mied, Mied uh, Pivan. Mied P- Pivan. Okay. Um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, that does it break stuff? It does not. It does not. I really, I don't really think it does. Uh, yeah, no, it's not. It's not. It's not earth shattering. It definitely isn't earth shattering. It's fine. Um, th- some of the plans will affect these. Um, no, will affect th- this one in particular that I have. This this okay. may have to change, but we'll, we'll but we're gonna we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll top on later. We'll I'm burn that bridge when we come to it. I am so excited. <laughs> it's gonna be so much fun. Uh, okay, so you forgot three names. That's cool. They're they're logged. Nothing are chattering. Okay, cool. Um, the yeah. So in, in the Reddit from last episode, uh, there was a great product, a great point brought up by Generalitari. Generalitari. Generality? Oh no, no, it's not. Generalitari. Generalitari. Yeah, yeah. Generalitari. 
Okay, uh, if you could tell us how you would like that pronounced, please, generality. Bob. Um, uh, the posters got me thinking, they say. They're clearly based on Soviet-era posters, uh, but would Abeski people even recognize the mood they're trying to convey? We see the color scheme as intense and threatening. Sorry, would they see the color scheme as intense and, and threatening in the same way we do? Would they understand a horned head as symbolic of evil? To the best of my knowledge, the idea of horns being evil are a result of Christianity demonizing horned pagan gods in order to disrupt their worship. It's not clear what the Abeski religion believes, but they certainly have a different uh, religious history. Though if Urselks are a common and known threat, perhaps the image of antlers would have a symbolic, a similar symbolic meaning. Uh, yeah, so this, this is great. This is the kind of thing I do think about a lot when it comes to um, making more visual things like this. Like I was saying about the... I would find it difficult to make posters because we haven't done the content and we don't have a script. Um, I would also kind of think about what is the um, existing visual language. You know, what's their what's what is their understanding of aesthetics? What's their art history? Um, so yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't say for sure that they they do think of horns as evil, um, but for the purpose that that uh, poster was trying to do, kind of bring. Um, the propaganda of the LPE into something understandable uh, to us, then it, it perfectly makes sense. But I'm not sure it would be exactly the same as an in-universe document. Um, and I would have to think about things like the horned the horned heads and the colour schemes. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, although I don't think, at least my take would have been that, um, and I think I replied to, to General Terry, I don't think it's massively far off because I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that the colors, you know, black, white, red are um, symbolic of kind of like negative, they conjure negative emotions, you know, um, blood, because we, we did state that these these uh, Abeski are humans, like literal humans. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm assuming they bleed like us, so blood being bad. You can that that's a very um uh simple uh, basic sort of um take um in terms of color theory or color symbolism um so I wouldn't say that that's mad off and black and white are just like you know they're basically non colors really so I think the color wise I wouldn't be like you, you know it's, it's a big problem I I think the uh, generality with the Orzelk antlers is a great call like that's really cool um and it's like animalistic like non-human that sort of thing paints mm. in um metaphors like that um i think that's really cool so with a little bit of tweaking i think it can quickly be made into something that's um in universe but as you point out the big thing would be we need a script which we will one day get to in china mm -hmm. red has has different cultural connotations often no sure sure and same way like in uh, i think it's in japanese uh white is associated with death but we associate black with death here Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not saying like it's a human universal that. Yeah. So I think it's back. a valid, a valid question, and it could end up being quite different. No, absolutely, it could. But um, if if one were to say like we have to take these posters and run with them and make them in universe, I don't think it would be a massive problem to be like, yeah, in universe, red equals neg negativity. That's sure, not, yeah, it's not a huge yeah. stretch if we have that to come up with a justification for it. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's gotcha. what I'm saying. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Um, but, but yeah, nah. good comment. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as regards Abeski religion, there isn't a single um, common religion the, the way that we kind of think of in the West of that this country is X and this country is Y or this culture is this religion or whatever. Uh, there are 
various competing religions and faiths and cults and things. Um, so there, there's quite a there's quite an array. There's probably some kind of commonality um, that they, they come from a, a similar background, but it's not it's not like you know the overwhelming Christianity of the Western world in general. It wouldn't be anything like that. Um, and as regarding the Urselk, the Urselk are native to Hoitan specifically. Um, oh. So they're not actually that common uh, a motif in the history mm. of Abeski art because they're they're from a different region. Um, obviously, you know, there, there's a bit of it the way that fantastical and, and foreign creatures were included in kind of medieval European heraldry and things. Mm. Um, like snails. Like snails, yes. Um, <laughs> before snails were introduced into Europe in the 1500s. Sure. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so the, it, it wouldn't be as ingrained a thing as that because they're a little bit more foreign, a little bit more exotic as, as a creature. Uh, but, you know, I, I think I did say that I like the idea of other animals having um, antlers. So maybe antlers is still a viable route for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, on the religion thing, I, I don't think you've written much about um, the relig- re- religiosity of these people. Um, I don't think I've written anything, yeah. Yeah, I had just taken that to be that they're all a bunch of atheists. Maybe because again, like there's there's a lot of Soviet stuff going on here. At least I think there's a lot of Soviet stuff going on here, and I kind of associate um, atheism with that vibe. Not saying that to be an atheist you have to be like a Soviet or a communist or whatever. Um, but it, you know, there was there's periods of time. It was in the um, in the USSR where it was an atheistic state. Is that correct? Am I remembering my history correct? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it seems, yeah. It seems likely. So I think I just had um, assumed that they were atheists, and I guess I had assumed that the um, the Erthani and stuff would be the people who have, like, you know, nature gods and things like that, because they, they feel they seem to be more in touch with... Uh, the more down-to-earth, literally, than the Abyss. Mm. Um, Down-to-river. So I wonder, is that a thing you would ever, like, double down on, that there is, there is no religion? Because, you know, because it's the idea of, like... Um, I always find it a little bit weird when people talk about uh, being atheist in like the before times in middle ages, because it always feels to me like that's not an option. It's like religion is as real as gravity for like a pre-science people, you know? Um, And the idea of being atheist in that thing is just not, it's just, it's absurd. No one would ever think that. But then in a a post-scientific sort of sense, um, the idea of atheism kind of sprung out, you know, and these people, the Abeski, seem to be like post-scientific. They're like, a, they're modern. They have like um, industry, et cetera, et cetera. They've, they seem to have sciences, all that sort of jazz. Um, so you you could do a thing where they are just like, they have shunned religion. Thoughts? Yay, nay? Um, no, they, they like, they, they do have uh, religions, um, and uh, as regards the what you're saying about the Soviet thing, bear in mind that that's very much the the, the countercurrent. Um, it's not the it's not the dominant cultural idea. Uh, Cross culturally or with respect in, in, to in Abesk. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they do have religions, but they're they're a little bit more kind of uh, personal. They're they're not as as um, necessary to the public sphere of life and and people can practice different ones and you know they, they, they don't have a, a huge influence on kind of state affairs or, or anything like that um there isn't a temple in every town 
there's a temple in every living room. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, there, there would be, like, temples and places of worship and, and meeting houses and things as well. Um, but, you know, that would just be, it, you know, it, it wouldn't be uh, analogous to, to how we experience mm-hmm. religion in public life. I uh, we had friends of the family uh, when I was younger who were Hare Krishnas. Um, mm-hmm. Dad did some building work for them. Um, again, like 20, 30 years ago, whatever it was. No, not thirty years. Twenty plus years ago. Um, and they invited us to a kind of like I guess it was some sort of feast, some sort of celebration, Hare Krishna mm-hmm. celebration. And they were like, "Come around to the house." And I'm not religious, and I I gave up on religion when I was like first confession sort of age um <laughs> it just wasn't for me um but i really enjoyed the whole idea of like we don't we're not going to a church it's just like we have a shrine in the house everyone brings drums we sing a little bit it's all great crack and then we eat some really healthy vegetarian food like it was really, <laughs> it was really great vibes the idea of like it's it's a home thing and the idea of like um you know like hospitality and inviting people into your home and socially mandated way of keeping uh, connected with your neighbors which i think is incredibly important in the modern world given that we're so disconnected from one another in meat space um mm-hmm. i think it's so cool that it's just like Every so often there's another feast and everyone gathers and they just worship at home in their own home. And then that that like strips away the sort of toxic elements that can arise out of centralized religions and that sort of jazz. Um, I, I thought it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And the smells, the smells, because of like, again, the vegetarian food just had a very particular smell to it. I don't know what spices they were using or whatever, but it was just like, it stuck with me. And then the smell of the incense. Um, and it was just... It was just wonderful. I absolutely loved it. And there was a time where I was like, if I'm going to be religious, I'm going to be Hare Krishna because this is cool. Uh, and then I realized just, again, like I said, religion was not for me. So uh, I, I I remained a smelly atheist. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, tangent alert, tangent alert. Uh, you have something here from Jamie Gilson. Let's get this shit back on track. <laughs> so this came up in the live chat from the last episode. Um, I, uh, held and hold the position that vowels are pretty fake. Um, I love the way you phrase it. I think it's great. Like I'm fully on board with you I know what you mean, but I love that you phrase it as they're fake. <laughs> um, and like, you know, I, I have, I have trouble like distinguishing vowels in a way that I don't with consonants, you know, consonants mm. are much kind of easier to, um, distinguish. Yeah. Um, and even if they're ones that I'm not natively familiar with, I can pick up on them i can pay attention and, and figure out how to distinguish between them in a way that I, I think is much much more difficult for me with with vowels you're not the only um one. but jimmy gilson in last episode's live chat uh said i took a psycholinguistics class at uni and the consonant versus vowel thing is actually rooted in how humans process the audio we hear consonant distinctions as discrete um based on which language we heard from childhood but vowels are heard as spectral so there is kind of a, a spectrum there. And that, that, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense because, like, whether your tongue is on your teeth or on your palate is a little bit more cut and dry than whether your, uh, you know, lips are rounded or not or how far forward or back your tongue is. That's much more of a kind of a spectral, continuous process. So, yeah, I, I, I am justified by psycholinguistics. 
I'm sorry if you thought that you weren't justified because you're you're dead right. Like I don't know anyone who who thinks the opposite of you do. Um, I didn't realize that there was there was a psycholinguistical reason for it. Although that would make sense if everyone thinks this. Um, but I think I brought it up in the last show. But just to work reiterating, uh, I think about them. Uh, I think of vowels like a slide, and I think of mm-hmm. consonants like stair steps. Like there's a very clear divide between each like level, each segment. Uh, whereas vowels, sense. it's just a smooth gradient, and it's re- sometimes it can be really hard to see what's going on, uh, to mm-hmm. hear what's going on. Uh, vowels are awful. In general, my take is that anything in linguistics that begins with V is terrible. Verbs, vowels, uh, valency, all of that is just awful, and I hate it. Um, vowels are awful. They're just vocalization. Oh. Maybe not vocalization. That's 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 fine. I'm okay with that. Um, not okay with oh, verbs. I'm so with um, David J. Peterson is uh, outspoken um, in his f- mocking hatred of verbs, but I'm totally <laughs> with him. Like verbs are just like f- nouns. Sorry, another tangent. Nouns are so discreet, right? Nouns like there's there's a very very small amount of things that nouns do, and you just kind of like go through the list and bang it out and make up your nouns. You're done. But verbs are like if there's a if, if, Anything can be conveyed using verbs. They're like, a, the, the set of stuff that verbs can convey is just massive and unwieldy. And I hate it so, so much. <sighs> I wish verbs were fake. <laughs> <laughs> but yet you used a verb. How interesting. I know. I know. I'm sure we, we need to. I will uh, endeavor to uh, not use verbs for the rest of the show. I will just, I will just speak in infinitives and nominalize everything. Uh, and we'll see how how that goes. <laughs> okay, uh, are we at the end of follow up? I think that is follow up complete. Woo! Let's do some world building. Let's do some world building. World building. So, um, today we have more documentation. Today we have another document concerning the insurrection in Lansk. Oh, okay, yeah. So this is continuing on from where we left off? Yeah. What's the last thing we talked about? We talked, yeah, we talked about the ongoing the problems in Lansk. The brewing, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the last one. Okay, cool. Readers, you will by now have heard the joyous news that the insurrection in Lansk has been quelled. With order restored against the current of anarchy and agitation, all honest Avesky will doubtless celebrate this victory. However, it is our unfortunate duty to advise your joy be tempered, as solemn news and shocking details of the affair become known to the world outside the rebels' barricades. The action to liberate the occupied district was undertaken at night to minimize the harm inflicted upon the innocent citizenry imprisoned beneath the cruel yoke of the agitators' violence. A joint force of municipal bailiffs and marines detached from the Timar and Eltian companies struck at several points on the district's perimeter. Upon gaining this foothold, they quickly sought out the ringleaders of the self-styled Lansk Popular Executive, 
based on intelligence given by loyal and lawful citizens within the barricades, who at great personal risk passed this information to the outside world. Some among the agitators were quick to flee at the first sign of trouble, retreating to vessels docked on the river and casting off under the aegis of Arthani ensigns. Those who remained behind did not give up their gains easily. In fierce fighting along the riverside docks, Chief Bailiff Abarin Eintoff was slain alongside several of his most loyal men. Seeing their tyranny crumble before them, many agitators burned large parts of the district, caring not for the cruelty it would inflict on the population. Several streets of apartments and workshops were reduced to rubble and ash, killing many unfortunate citizens and leaving others without home or workplace. Even the batteries held by the rebels were turned against the district, inflicting particularly grave damage to the historic Old Tower. Fleeing citizens, finally able to escape the barricades, were welcomed by bailiffs and municipal aid in the surrounding districts. Many of these souls have been directed to new temporary lodgings in the Tamar Company Depot, where the resources of that enterprise have been generously set aside for their care. The disturbing details of life within the district are now coming to light as these sorry refugees can freely tell of the horrors that agitation inflicts. The alleged aid provided by the Urthani was seized at once by the cabal of anarchists leading the rebellion, while the common citizens starved. Children were forced to pick for morsels among refuse piles, which gathered at every corner and spilled out of every gutter. One mother told us how, lacking any other means to feed her family, she caught and cooked rats who, emboldened by the deplorable filth of the district, would elsewise have preyed upon her infants. Violent gangs enforcing no law other than their own petty caprice and venal urges not only ruled the night but made a terror of the daytime. Failure to obey the dictates of the popular executive resulted in reprisals, including public executions of horrific brutality that decency will not permit us to reprint in these sheets. Though we rejoice that the misrule of the agitators has come to an end, it is nonetheless a sad end to a sad tale. The true extent of the damage inflicted upon the people of Lansk cannot yet be accounted. Those agitators who escaped justice shall be sure to strike again, and all lawful abeski must ever be watchful for the stormfront of anarchy. Mesphere Pump Broadsheet, preprint manuscript prepared ahead of the operation to crush the Lansk insurrection. Oh, that's dope. That's dope. The last line, return of the last line, gut punch. Nice. <laughs> nice. Oh, this is cool. This is monumental. Um, the, the Lance has been saved. The good guys won. All is well in the world. And every single word here is entirely truthful and not embellished or isn't subterfuge. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> this, this, oh. We're a trustworthy news source. Exactly. I, as I, I know I usually do the thing. Actually, no, no, let's stick to the format. Um, summarize, 
give whatever context you think is needed, then I'll go through uh, my points. Um, so the base for your pump broadsheet is a sort of um, pamphlet newspaper um, distributed in the city of Mearsphere. Um, and it's called pump as in like a water pump where people would gather to exchange news. I was trying to think of like a, a, a fitting generic name for a, a newspaper, but not one that we tend to actually use in the real world, like, you know, Mearsphere Herald or something. Um, and I thought, you know, people would, would gather around water pumps and, and exchange news and exchange gossip. So that would be a, a sensible name for a newspaper to, to take. But one of my questions was like, what the hell is a pump doing? Well, what the hell is pump doing here? That's really cool. I enjoy that. Do you want to hear an embarrassing story uh, of a whoopsie that previous Edgar made? Yes, um, nearly always. In- involving newspapers. Uh, okay. We were, we were doing English class. I think I must have been about 12, like first year of secondary school. And we had some sort of assignment that I, I, I guess falled under the broader gamut of like media literacy. Um, we talked about like, broadsheets and um what's the other ones the non-broadsheets tabloids tabloids and learned about those etc etc and uh i remember to this day <laughs> this because it, it burns me in the soul uh one of the questions on like the test was kind of like um uh, who reads broadsheets and who reads tabloids which looking back on it is a very flawed question right yeah um but but that was the question put forward and my answer to this, Bill, right? And I hate myself. I was 12, so please forgive me, Internet. My answer was educated people read broadsheets uh, broad <laughs> and non-educated people read tabloids, which is obviously a horrific thing to say. And if anything, I would consider myself an educated person, but I love engaging in tabloid-like um, content, as we said at the start. Um, so, you know, it doesn't, I don't, I'm not even an exemplar of this sort of stance. Um, but anyhow, so I, I said that anyways, we had a sort of uh, debrief class after this test and the teacher came in and was like, you all did terribly. I expect a lot better from everyone. And she took the whole class to read out our responses and berate us. Um, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, because it was it, it was really it was really bad. Like I was just stupid in my answer, but some people were kind of like, you know, the answer to a question was like a slur, for example. Like it was right. It needed to be called out really, and I just happened to have been caught in the firing line. And so she read out my thing, and I went, "Oh my god!" I went, I had to stand up. I went bright red. I was like, "What's what's going on?" And if anything, at the time I was like, "But this is obvious, right?" Like why are you telling me I'm wrong? You know, if, if you're if you're like a banker or a businessman, you read the broadsheet. And if you're, uh, this past Edgar thinking again, but if you're like a stay-at-home mom who didn't go to college, you read the tabloid, right? I was like, what's wrong with this? And it was never explained to me. I wish, it would, I wish she, like, in berating me, would have been like, and here is why you're wrong, not just like, let me berate this 12-year-old and leave it at that. And it's only true, like, reflection afterwards and kind of like, I don't know, beginning to read newspapers as i got older that i realized oh wait no this is entirely stupid but i still remember that feeling that sort of like the the bottom of my stomach falling out when she kind of goes who answered the to this to this question when i had stand up and i was like oh god it was not great not a fun time but really i deserved it like come on like uneducated <laughs> people read tabloids that's the stupidest thing to say stupidest yeah, thing to not say. great not no great. but but again i was 12 <laughs> 
It's fun, yeah. right? It doesn't yeah. sound like great pedagogy either. No, and like we opened up that that question is so flawed. Like it's such yeah. a stupid question because it's like, I don't know, humans is the answer to both. Like humans read broadsheets and humans read tabloids. That's who reads them. Any more specificity is just ridiculous to and ask. horses read magazines. <laughs> Precisely, yeah. I'm not sure if there's a reference there, but sure. No, there's not. There's... <laughs> Yes. Um, but yeah, so when, just when you said the broadsheet stuff, I began thinking of of that one English class. Oh, the pain of it all. <laughs> the pain of it all. Um, okay, sorry, I interrupted. Continue with what you were saying. So that's what the Meerster Pump broadsheet is. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so this uh, column, um, this article gives details of, the, of an action to crush the the Lance Popular Executive's rebellion, um, how the municipal bailiffs, so the kind of the forces of the city itself, and uh, forces taken from the Tamar and Eltian companies uh, banded together to uh, end the insurrection. Uh, the damage that was caused during the the fighting and also the the horrors and and violence that occurred underneath the control of the rebellion mm-hmm. um and the the regrettable death of chief bailiff baron to Eintoff during the fighting is, we have our is death. notable here um and how the the rebels turned their cannon on the district itself when they realized they were losing and even did damage to the historic old tower, one of the oldest uh, spires in the city. Um, <laughs> and it ends with a, a, a call for vigilance against the, the tide of labor agitation um, that is, is currently washing over the, the whole Abesque culture. Uh, and the last line here tells us that this is a preprint manuscript prepared ahead of the operation, before the operation crush the Lansk insurrection so let's let's start there right because I was obviously go- I'm obviously going to like um, interrogate that uh, my initial gut thing is like oh that's terrible like this is um, them being sneaky and deceptive mm-hmm. but now that I've had a chance to think about it for a second that doesn't necessarily like it it doesn't necessarily mean that everything in this piece is incorrect right like this, yeah. I, I get that it is, but this could be the state of affairs. And, you know, you need to print a paper at nine in the next morning. Uh, it would be kind of like wise to prepare different drafts depending on an outcome. So they might mm-hmm. also have a, you know, we're, uh, or a sort of obituary to Bauer and to Eintov. He, do- he died uh, fighting to liberate a... T- he died doing uh, what he loved. He died doing what he loved, fighting to liberate the the, the barricades or whatever section of the city. Uh, but we were unfortunately able to take it back. You know, that sort of thing. So sure. It doesn't necessarily imply wickedness at all. It just kind of, it, it can be taken as no different than a politician um, uh, preparing two different uh, speeches based on whether or not they win an election or lose. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is which is interesting, and it kind of leaves it up to the reader to be like, how do you feel about these people? Do you think they're trustworthy, or do you think they're not? It's up to you. I like that. I think it's cool. Well, for the context here, mm. the Mearsphere Pump Broadsheet is owned by the Tamar Company. 
Oh yeah, like obviously knowing what we know, this is obviously them being sneaky and being deceptive and things. Um, mm. But if you were to just drop this on someone without any context, um, they, they could take it either way. The, yeah, there's plausible deniability if this was ever to, to become public, I suppose. Correct, correct, yeah. Um, so, but I think that's cool. And mm-hmm. it's been a while since we've had that gut punch last line where, where it makes you think about everything that you've just read. Um, it's cool. It's very, very good. Um, I guess if I can launch into some... No, let's let's jump around a little bit. I usually do yeah. it in order, but I like to jump around. Um, Chief Bailiff Bowron to Eintov. He's dead. Um, I'm assuming this was in response to my saying we should have some deaths, Bill. Um, uh, partially, yeah, partially. So the question is, why him? Uh, in-universe? Uh, both. Um, because he wasn't playing ball the way the Tamar Company wanted. Oh, wait, so the Tamar Company murdered him? Yep. <gasps> I didn't get that at all. What? Wow. That's how they had details of his death before the action. Of course. Of course. I just, I completely missed that. That makes perfect sense. They're going to murder Bowron to Eintop. Remind us again why he's not playing ball. What's he doing that the companies are unhappy with? <gasps> this is everything, <laughs> Bill, right now. <laughs> um. So a few episodes ago, um, I wrote, uh, well, Dajag Tashensha wrote a letter to him um, offering support because he had not been swift enough in putting down the rebellion in his own city. Um, mm. And for his, essentially his failure to deal with this in a way that um, the business wanted, um, he's going to be taken out. Wow. I, and I they're going to use the they're going to use the cover of taking back the district to to mask their attempts to to murder him. So, so and this, his this, loyalists in in the in the municipal bailiffs. So this brings up the other question I was going to ask is why now? Um because if Bowron has been not cutting the muster, I'm assuming mm-hmm. for a while, and this situation lanced as I'm assuming, has been going on for a bit. Like, because your last letter was kind of like, here's what life is, implying that, like, a new normal kind of had yeah. been had set in. So sure. why did why did the companies only move now to remove Bowron, Bowron and to um, uh, to uh, return things back to normal? They they got tired of, of waiting for it to be, to be resolved and they needed to take action. You know, for, oh, okay. for kind of, like, I mean... Things take time to occur, um, and I don't know what all of the, the factors in play necessarily are, but, you know, things don't happen instantly, and this situation has been ongoing. They no longer want it to be ongoing, mm-hmm. uh, so they're going to strike at the at the rebellion, uh, put it down, and while they're there, they're also going to clean house and take out Baron Eintov so it can be replaced with someone more um, mm-hmm. willing to work towards the goals that the companies want uh, so sorry so does that mean that they were hoping that the situation would just resolve itself at the start uh if so if so um how would you see that occurring i mean i guess i i can think of like uh loyal Abesky people behind the barricades doing their own kind of mini revolution and letting the populace 
try and sort the situation out as opposed to bringing in the, the troops. That's the only way I can think about it because, like, the only people who want that situation to remain would be the um, the anarchists, you know? Mm. Um, so how, how were you thinking about it there? Put the question to me again. I didn't quite follow. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was a little bit uh, rambling. Um, are Were they hoping at the start to just have the situation resolve itself? Well, I, I mean, I guess they, they were hoping for the for for the bailiffs to take some more kind of decisive action. Right. Okay. 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 Oh, right. I see. So the lower downs couldn't get the job done. And so the companies are like, we're done waiting, send they're, in the troops, send in the big lads, let's get it done. They're not lower downs so much as they're just a, a different thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. 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 Yeah. Um, they're not, they're not but, like, I mean like nominally and, and, you know, formally, they're they're not uh, lower downs. They're just they're the the city authorities and the companies are a private enterprise. Are are private enterprises. Yeah. Um. So group group A was not getting it done. So group B goes time to come in and sort it out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And you know, just like think stuff takes time to happen. Things don't yeah, all yeah, yeah. happen straight away. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um. Jumping around a little bit. Uh. Mm-hmm. Possibly. How do I want to? address this uh okay okay i'll just go in order um roughly um quote it is our unfortunate duty to advise your joy be tempered as solemn news and shocking details of the affair become known to the world outside the rebels barricade um barricades i'm not sure if you meant it like this but it sounds like a that sounds like a real trash clickbaity sort of opening yes Um, it is it is uh a bit tabloidy, I suppose. It is a bit, a bit tabloid. A bit for, for the uneducated people, bit, you know? <laughs> I just, I want to say again, I do not hold this position. I was 12. Please forgive me. My brain had not yet fully formed. Um, the uh, the other thing is, I suppose there's just a list of things I underlined here that I'd like to get your take on um, as to the um, veracity of these claims. Like, are they actually fact or are they propaganda? Um, so, for example, you say here, the action to liberate the occupied district was undertaken at night to minimize the harm inflicted upon the innocent citizenry imprisoned beneath the cruel yoke of the agitators' violence. Now, that sounds like propaganda in that the agitators were being violent. That seems like something people who, like, took over a section of city would be like. Mm-hmm. Or it also could be demonizing these people. And I'm not sure which way it is. So what what is the... Uh, can you tell us what the actual state of affairs? What is IRL? What's happening? Or in fiction, in in IFL, in fiction life, <laughs> <laughs> in real fiction, what is happening? Exactly. Um, so, as regards the the cruel yoke of the agitators' violence, yeah, correct. Are the agitators actually violent? Because I can see them wanting to be, needing to be violent to maintain their uh, grip on the district. Or, or or not, or people are just like, yeah, whatever, new dudes are in charge. Like, I, it can go both ways. I'd like to know which one is it. Um, there was violence that took place specifically and mostly at the beginning of the insurrection. Um, like, they, they took over part of the city and uh, people associated with the companies were killed. And there was <laughs> fighting in which people died. Um the idea that there was like this kind of cruel brutality pervading every aspect of everyday life is not true. Yeah, because I was thinking the last letter you wrote painted an image of kind of like, it's all very normal, you know? Yeah. We, we, there's not much jobs going about. 
Uh, but like, it's not like we're being hounded by military people. Yeah. Um, and, you yeah. know, there, there probably were cruel individuals who were <laughs> reveling in the opportunity to like get power over others. Um, there was almost certainly an element of that, but it wasn't the, the normal general state of affairs underneath <laughs> the, or behind the barricades. Um, loyal and lawful citizens within the barricades. I'm assuming that's a true statement. Like, the people in the occupied area would have also been, like, anti the agitators. And um, so that that is a thing that exists. It's not like everyone within the uh, occupied area was like, we love this. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, probably yeah. true, yeah. yeah there, right. there, there were some within who were who were trying to get out from under it. And I'm assuming that's how they got, because at some point, I don't have it underlined, you, you talked about how we got, oh yeah, yeah, who at great personal risk passed this information to the outside world. So I'm assuming there were people who were like, I don't want the agitators to be here, I'm going to leak information out. That's how you can kind of begin to form intelligence and form a strategy to get in there and liberate things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even quote. Even the batteries held by the rebels were turned against the district, inflicting inflicting grave grave damage to the historic old tower. Now, again, we can read this a couple of different ways. One, agitators are savages and they love blowing up cultural stuff. Um, two, we're going to blow up a bunch of cultural stuff in trying to take back the thing and killing Bowron. So we need to try and paint it that the agitators did it, so no one will be angry at us. Um, again, what's the state of affairs? Yeah, it's to cover up um, yeah. that the that they're going to use airships and fire batteries from from their own airships into the district. Oh, they're doing an aerial assault, not a ground assault, or both. The the marines and stuff are going in on foot. Yeah. Okay. Although I guess probably some of them will, will be delivered by air as well to like seize specific locations. Um, but that's there to cover. You know, if anything does get damaged um that it was oh well you know the the rebels they they turned on their own when they <laughs> realized they theirs was a lost cause sure sure um and you know, i suppose yeah you could also be like um you know strategically if you're uh, if you're an anarchist here mm-hmm. uh you might be like well it's a losing battle so we're just going to wreck the gaff to, to make the reacquisition of this asset not so wonderful for the Obeski. you can totally see that happening as well but i guess because it was printed ahead of time scorched earth scorched that's a much more elegant way of putting it once again i burn a hundred words where you could just use two this is i am verbose this is my lot in life um the ele- quote the alleged aid provided by the Arthani was seized at once by the cabal of anarchists leading the rebellion while the common citizen starved Again, uh, I'm assuming this might actually be semi-true, except that it's seized with a means of redistributing evenly, uh, evenly. Um, not seized and the anarchists get fat while everyone dies. Um, well, like I said when I, when I was talking about the, the brewer in that episode, there was probably a bit of corruption and a bit of, of sure. um, uh, ill behavior and theft and stuff going on among the supply committee. But yeah, it wasn't as simple as it's being um, presented here, that the the LP was just taking everything and cared not for the plight of, of everyone else. Um, there was definitely mishandling of things. Um, but no, this is very selective and a very particular perspective to the point of being actually a lie. Um, quote, she caught and cooked rats, end quote. Can you cook a rat, Bill? 
Me? I mean, no, let, let me rephrase that. Of course, one can cook a rack, rat. If one cuts, cooks a rat, is it safe? Because I'm thinking, like, the act of cutting, cooking should, like, kill off any bad stuff the rat might have. Can we eat rats? Can I just yeah. decide to eat a rat and then it's fine, like, it's grand? I mean, like, it's probably not great. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's meat. Uh, great in terms of health or great in terms of, like, um, enjoyability? I would say either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I can't imagine why it, it wouldn't be. Like, you know, you, people eat pigeons and dogs and stuff, so. Uh, yeah, but I guess, I don't know what the case is with, with pigeons, but I guess we, we see rats as being uh, disease vectors for all sorts of nastiness in a way that, like, dogs aren't. Yeah. Um, I just I mean, it, about it what... might not be great in, like, a public health thing if it was common, but, you know, mm. what they're saying here, they're presenting... They're presenting it as a, a horrible last resort. Uh, and also, I, I would imagine that that, all, that whole bit is probably made up as well, because you also say, would elsewise have preyed upon her infants? Like, come on. that That's almost certainly not happening, that a mother is going to eat her children. Like, come on. Um, no, no. The rats. Oh, the rats would have preyed upon her. The rats, her... emboldened by the deplorable filth of the district, would elsewise have preyed uh, upon her infants. I, I, in she, I... she had to eat the rats, or else like they, they would have attacked her children. That makes no sense at all. Just kill the rats. Like, what? But I guess... Yeah, if you're, uh, that's what she did. That that, that whole thing... Uh, no, no. Kill and not eat. Just kill. Um, uh, but yeah, that whole thing seems hyperbolic but to the, me. Um, no, go on, but go on. She, she, had, she had to eat them because there was no other food, is what they're saying. Right, right. But, but, but as we've established, there may have been other food. That's all a lie, like. But what I'm saying is that entire line <laughs> is a lie, correct? Yeah. 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 Then we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like final... it's 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 not transparently a lie to all readers. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, but that's the whole shtick of this entire thing. Um, yeah, it's it's designed to not be transparently a lie. Um, final point on my end. Uh, quote: um, Failure to obey the dictates of the popular exec- executive resulted in reprisals, including public execution of horrific brutality uh, that decency will not permit us to reprint in these sheets. I really like that because I think sometimes the most uh, gory interpretation of the thing is the one that we come up with ourselves. Like, yeah. had you just been like, oh, they, they guillotined them or hung them or whatever, you'd be like, eh, boring. But if you go, oh, it was so bad, I couldn't possibly even mention here, your brain automatically goes to like, they ate you alive or something like that. Yeah. Um. So I love that. I think that's really cool. Um. It, it's very evocative. Um. Fair play. Thank you. All right, that's my points. Have I missed anything? Um, this was great. <laughs> um, this thing about the the agitators fleeing under the aegis of Urthani vessels uh, mm-hmm. again they're they're getting their excuses in early um, for and also the, you know they can use that as a pretext if they ever need to say there was agitation later. Um, they can say, oh well, there was there was agitators who escaped from Lansk. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there anything noteworthy about the line under the aegis of the Arthani ensigns? Not particularly, just, I mean, in, in to, to whip up uh, public opinion against the Arthani, I suppose. Yeah, that's, um, what I was thinking. that's what I was thinking. And yeah, like, as I said, this was written ahead of time. So that's, you know, they've no idea of knowing if anyone will do that, but they're going to say that they did. So mm. they can they can use that information later. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. There's also the the sort of fascistic thing of your 
your opponents at once being strong and weak. <laughs> that, oh, they fled at the first sign of trouble, and also they they fought fiercely and destroyed their own district. Um, that is a common trope, isn't it? Yeah. It's a very common trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there probably were public executions of, of some kind carried out by the, the LPE of those who were kind of collaborators or... Um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. especially at the start, as I said, the violence against you know people associated with the companies and things. Um, so that is probably you know, there's a grain of truth there, exaggerated. Yeah. Um, I tried to use weather and wind-based analogies for um, instead of th- saying things like rising tide. I know I said that in in speech, but in this extract, um. The current of anarchy and the the storm front of anarchy, um, I felt that was more appropriate to use kind of weather based things than naval thing or maritime sea things. Very because good. They're an air um, based that that is their their chosen medium. Um, that is the sort of thing you're going to need to think way more about as we get deeper yeah. into conlang things. So that that Absolutely. is good that you're beginning to think about it. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that at all. Uh, in fact, I took the stormfront thing to just be evocative, kind of like um. Oh, actually, I shouldn't have done this, but like Nazi ideology isn't the whole storm. There's something to do with storms and Nazis. Is that correct? Stormfront, stormtroopers. Storm... No, not stormtroopers. But in actual, unless there were actual stormtroopers under Nazis, which are dealt with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the wait what the original the original paramilitary uh, of the of the Nazi party was the Sturmabteilung. Oh, you're being serious? Wow. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were just being like the Star Wars thing. No, no, no. Stormtroopers was an actual thing. Oh, and isn't there isn't there a like a neo-Nazi publication that Storm something rudder? Uh, there's the yeah, there's the white nationalist oh. website Stormfront. That that's it. So that's why I thought you were using yeah. that language there to invoke like you know these agitators. They're actually kind of like fascistic, um, uh, do batters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To villains. There. Villains, exactly, exactly. But uh, <laughs> I I know I know, but I I thought. <laughs> Uh, unironically i love that (laughs) i listen it's very hard to 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 uh think about what you're going to say in a second but also say what you want to say in the moment uh things go wrong every so often um so that's why i thought you were using the the weather analogy um there um but that's cool i i enjoy that keep that up we'll need lots of it going forward um yeah all right I think um, that's everything. Cool. R.I.P. Uh, Chief Bailiff Bowerentaint of your dick. Well. <gasps> he may not. He may not be dead. Ooh. Well, I mean, like, you know, he, this, this, he this is all pre-print. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows? Oh, that's very interesting. I like it. I like it. This is good. This is good. Um, Bill's first death may be a fake out. Yeah, I mean, that, that, would, be, that would be pretty weak of me, but... Um... Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, but again, I mean, uh, Baron Tyndev is hardly what I would call a central character here, so uh, I wouldn't say it was weak. There, it'd be weak if you were like, "I'm threatening to kill Ned Stark and then don't do it." Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like kill Ned Stark for for dramatic effect. Whereas if Baron lives or dies, meh, I'm fine. I'm not going to be yeah. like, "Oh, this author's so weak" or whatever. Um, 
Excellent work, Bill. Uh, I love much. it. Shall we do some language? Let's do some lang-billing. Conlanging, the Abeski lang. Let's do this. Um, folks, this is going to be a little bit difficult to do purely in audio form. Uh, we're going to do our best to be as accommodating to audio listeners uh, as humanly possible. Uh, but it, it might be better if uh, y'all watch this as opposed to just listen to this. So I am recording my screen here and that will be included in the YouTube version of the uh, show um, and it'll be linked, the recording or the, the YouTube clip will be linked in the audio version. Might be worth checking this out because it's, it's a little bit hard to do conlanging just without the ability to write uh, anything. Um, so, Bill, here's what I propose we're going to do. Last, last time we talked... Uh, you uh, gave us all the established canonical names bar three. Um, <laughs> and I have been analyzing those, transcribing them into IPA and trying to figure out patterns of what's going on, right? Right. Over the past while. Um, so with that done, we should start trying to build up uh, our phonological inventory. Um, specifically, we should try and figure out how all of these things came to be so we're looking at doing a proto-lang here just again we said in the last show we we're going to do naturalistic conlang so we need to figure out what came before to be able to derive what's modern right okay you sound skeptical <laughs> please don't I be skeptical don't about understand that. that method at all okay so uh, elaborate what don't you understand the point of it so the point of it is uh to get internal consistency right because um, if you just if it, you one can conlang uh, synchronically, right, without looking at where it came from, that is a totally yeah. valid way of doing it. It's uh, it's difficult. I've learned over the years that it's, it's I used to do it this way, and it, it is more difficult and it's more hassle than it's worth. I think uh, doing it historically by setting an arbitrary starting point and evolving forward from that, uh, you will have an internal consistency to your language. Which is important. And how do you make sure that the protolang is internally consistent then? Uh, two things. Uh, one, you don't uh, for the most part. And two, uh, I guess based on your knowledge of linguistics. Like the idea is that you just need to set a starting point. You don't care what came before the protolang. You just set a starting point based on your knowledge of linguistics to make sure you don't do anything mad stupid. But you go that starting point and you evolve forward from there. Otherwise you're in a... Gone. Why does the protolang not need not need to be consistent? I mean, uh, because you are going to build the structures out of it. Uh, so, for example, if we just non-phonologically, um, if you might be like, uh, why doesn't the protolang need to have a consistent set of like pluralization strategies? For example, the idea being we're going to derive those like they're going to be non-existent in the protolang, and we'll derive them. You see what I'm saying? So a lot of the stuff won't be there to be consistent. We're going to make it happen as we go forward. It's kind of like the G-plates thing, right? Where it's like, um, remember when we were doing the um, the plate tectonics um, and moving continents around? We started with just like draw a supercontinent. Doesn't matter how it came to be. Doesn't matter how it got there. Like obviously it would have evolved into its state as a supercontinent, like true you know, first the tiniest little bit of land appears and that grows and grows and then other land grows and then eventually supercontinent. But like the act of doing that doesn't really inform what the, supercont the first supercontinent should be. You just kind of draw it 
and use that as your zero point and move forward. And again, the process provides the consistency. <laughs> oh my it God. It just seems like, <laughs> it just seems like, oh, we can't be arbitrary, but we're going to be arbitrary here instead. We can't be arbitrary. Well, okay, okay, okay. We can't be arbitrary in the modern lang, or at least we shouldn't be arbitrary in the modern lang. And I need to stress that we're not being arbitrary in a proto lang. Like, I'm not, like, I won't permit us to just put down whatever sounds, just cause. Like, they're going to have to follow, like, established linguistic norms, but how exactly they got to be is not relevant to us, right? We're just going to, like, set a zero date, and then we follow it through from there. If you don't believe me, right? If you don't believe me, you just need to trust me that this is kind of, no, like... No, like, I, I, I'm, I'm to, oh, yeah, look, look, we're going to do it this way. I'm just saying I don't get it. Um, yeah, but, okay, at the risk of turning this entire section into convince Bill that proto-langing is cool, do, do you see the analogy, do you see the analogy with G-plates, where we just, we just created a super content, we just said, we don't, I see the analogy, it just doesn't ring true for me. Right, but, but can you see the way in G-plates, how it was extremely useful to set it, just, just, you know, just put down a super content, don't care where it came from, and... In so uh, involving it forward, we're going to create a really naturalistic feeling modern world. Like, and yeah, yeah and hopefully in G-Plates, you saw that process arise. It's the exact same thing, you know? Um, it, 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 the process of evolving is the important thing, not how we pick our initial state. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I'm sure I'm sure people in chat and in comments can give better arguments than I can on the fly. Um, so l- listen to those folks as well. Um, it and I will say as well, like it, the thing is, because you've been doing it um, synchronically, so without a view on history, um, it's going to be very hard to convey this to you. Um, but you're going to have to trust me. Um, there are inconsistencies in your words, shall we say, where it's kind of like. I, I'm really struggling to see why certain sounds would appear here and not here. Do you know what I mean? Um, sure. Because it's like it didn't come from an initial state, um, and had it come from an initial state, you you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to see that. Um, you wouldn't be able to f- see those inconsistencies. You know, which we're actually going to talk about in a second. Um, so that's what we're going to do. Are we all happy? <laughs> Yeah, no, like, I'm, I'm willing to do it this way. I just don't get it. Sure, 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 sure. As long as you're willing. As long as you're willing, we're totally fine. And hopefully over, you'll see over the course of how we do this, you might be like, at some point, like what happened to me, Bibliridian was a huge factor in making me a believer in the naturalistic conlang method. Um, the penny will drop at some point and you'll be like, ah, oh, this is really useful thinking about this way. Uh, so hopefully you'll have the same realization I did uh, as we go through this. Okay. We should start. Oh my god. This is good though. This is good. Um the I think we should you said in the previous recording that vowels are fake, right? Mm-hmm. The implication being there that perhaps we can treat them a little bit more squishy than we can with continents. There's more wiggle room uh sure. available there. So I think we should probably start looking at how vowels came to be before we look at consonants. And then we'll wrap it all together and come up with a schema of how your sounds evolved. Uh, specifically, I've been preparing, uh, <laughs> trying to deal with your nasal vowels. You had mentioned about nasal vowels, uh, how they might be cool. Mm-hmm. 
I agree, gets us out of kind of like stock Slavic territory a little bit. That's kind of cool. I like it. Um, so we should look at that uh, because t- I'm baffled by by what you've got going on here and we need to try and figure out how to do it. So I have, uh, I'll outline for the listeners uh, the environments that these crop up in or don't. And then I have three or four ideas of how we might deal with this. Bill, will, Bill and I will have a talk about which he likes, which he doesn't. Uh, hopefully one of them he will. I'll go away, implement it, etc. Rinse and repeat. Every month we'll do the same thing. Got it? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay. Okay, right. So there is only one canonical instance of a um, of a nasal vowel, and that is in the name Dajag to, and I can't do this, impossible, so Shensha, Shensha. Dajag to Shensha. That eh is nasalized, uh, Bill mm. had mentioned, yeah? Yeah. That's the only instance that crops up. Um, this is problematic uh, in the sure. sense of I would be very reluctant to say that your language has one nasal vowel and that nasal vowel is un. Um, we should have more, a more natural feeling set. Uh, and it's problematic as well because usually when it comes to evolving nasal vowels, a la French, um, you have a nasal coda, Right? So you'd have something like shen with an N there. And then that nasal coda passes on its nasality to the vowel. So you get shen, shen, and yeah. then the N is lost. That's how you went from French from, I think, uh, back in the day, it was vant. Then it went vant, and then it went vant. So the, uh, the N passed. In fact, I will type this for people. Uh, vant in French went to vant. Uh, where the N passed its nasality onto the vowel. Uh, yeah, onto the vowel. Then that nasal dropped out, so you went what? And then the T dropped out, and you're left with modern French, what? That's the stock way of generating mm-hmm. nasal vowels. A following nasal nasalizes the previous vowel. You with me? Okay, yeah. yeah. And that's what you have here for idea one. Renaglotophilia. Oh no, 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 not at oh. all. But we'll we'll get oh. there. We'll get there. We're still we're okay. still we're still at the analyzing words. So okay. my my immediate thought was we'll just do that. And it even matches with your romanization because you romanized Shencha as that, if I recall yeah. correctly. Where you have an N in there, Shencha, you literally write the N. So the idea that at one stage there was an N there, but that dropped yeah. out and nasalized. Brilliant. Absolutely wonderful. The problem is this conflicts entirely with other established words. So we also have sure. this name here, Entlia, where the N is definitely there. You're not doing, uh, again, this second vowel, uh, impossible in French, en. So you're not doing Entlia, Entlia. You're doing Entlia, okay? Yeah. So to be consistent, we'd expect, if we're doing this nasal stuff, we'd expect Entlia not to exist. Sure. We could pull some tricks, obviously, like it could be a compound word, etc. But in general, we would expect it not to be. Uh, same thing with Eintov in Bauern to Eintov, R-A-P, the goat. Mm-hmm. Um, we would expect that I of diphthong to nasalize in that environment because it's the exact same environment that's implied yeah. in Dajak Tashencha. Same thing with Benvin. It should be Bavin. Jensir te Hlarvin should be, oh God, that should be with a nasal E in there. I can't do it. Something like that. And then Englan, again, should have two nasal vowels. So Mm. if I were to try and do the stock thing, 
we'd have nasal vowels everywhere and we'd be rewriting right. a lot of your words. So I don't think we can do the stock thing. Are you with me? Oh, okay, sure. Sure. So we need. I need to find some other bloody way of doing this, right? Uh, I have some ideas. I have four ideas. Uh, one of them is valid. The rest are bonkers. I just want to bring them up for... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> bonkers. For, for the sake of... Uh, for the sake of, I don't know, just curiosity, I suppose. Um, idea number one, uh, rhinoglottophilia. Um, this is, P.S. Bill, unless you have an extremely good reason, this is what you should pick. Just just saying, uh, because it is it is definitely the most useful. Um, rhinoglottophilia mm. is this phenomenon where uh, uh, there's a uh, affinity uh, between glottal sounds and nasal sounds. Um, Wikipedia says that Apparently, this crops up in some dialects of English where some people won't say Harvard. They'll say Harvard. They'll nasalize the A after the glottal H. Gotcha. Right? Uh, I don't understand why that's a phenomenon that occurs, but it, it, it is, apparently. Um, so we could pull this here, right? And I've written out the sound change here. We could have a vowel uh, followed by a H, so a H in the coda position. And that becomes a long vowel or a short, short vowel. We can we can argue about that. So essentially, a word like inshensha, for example, you would actually have. Um, I should type an IPA here. Sorry, she uh, she with a h coda, and then sha. Right, that h um, mm-hmm. causes this rhinoglottophilia, and then it nasalizes this chap. And then drops out. So we end up with okay. sha So we can then, tr- using this method, you can selectively, anytime you're like, huh, I, I would really like a nasal vowel here. You can just say in the protolang, there was a H in coda position. You can just drop it in. And that will justify, if you look at this next list here, Dajag Tashensha will become exactly what you want it to be. Enchlia is unaffected because we could just say there was no, there's no H here. There's an N in coda position. Bauer into Eintov, unaffected. Eintov is totally fine. Benvin, also totally fine. Everything, all of your established canonical words are totally fine under this method, except for Naham Tevalbe. Because we have a H here. Naham. It's become uh, Nam, Naham. Or uh, we we could say that the H, because this H is in onset position, Naham, you could say it stays there. It go Naham. It could just okay. remain. Uh, yeah. It could do other fun things. Like this is, I think, what I would advocate. You could have, imagine it started off as Naham, right? Naham te valbe. Uh, we don't need to worry about the valbe. That doesn't come into the schema. Uh, H, we'll say it nasalizes the previous one. So Naham turns into Naham. Um, mm-hmm. And then we could say that that H... Uh, because like the language maybe doesn't want the H to drop out there because you'd have two vowels in contact. We could say yeah. that that H strengthens to a uh, ham, an X there. Oh. Oh, so Naham. Well, I kind of like that. Oh, I kind of like that. Good. And I think it's not that dissimilar. Naham Tevalbe, Naham Tevalbe. Yeah. That's, that's not a radical change. Um, I quite like that. 
cool, good. I would like if you would like this because the rest of the ideas are just curiosities and they don't really work. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I think, the most uh, the most suitable way. The thing I would like you to uh, either decide now or think about is the exact realization of this. So if we again take Naham as our example, mm-hmm. um, and just for the record, for everyone here and Bill, I suppose, I'm just assuming that all these other consonants are proto. Like at some stage we might see like, is this M generated from somewhere else? Whatever. All we're doing is inquiring about the vowel and the H. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So everything else is still subject to change. Naham, this could go a number of different ways. Um, This could be uh, Naham, right? The previous Mm -hmm. vowel, um, the previous vowel nasalizes. Naham goes to Naham. Or you could totally see it doing uh, both, both vowels. Oh my god! Come on, uh, uh, sorry. Uh, both vowels nasalized, so naham. You could do both like that. You could mm-hmm. even justify it the other way around. You could have it that the following naham. vowel naham. Um, you could have it like that. So you can have proto naham. It can go to naham, naham, or naham. It can do a gotcha. whole bunch of things there. So maybe give that a think and or make a call now as to which one uh, you could do. Because just to be absolutely clear here, in the case of Shensha, because uh, this act doesn't matter. So if we start off with Shensha as doing this, Shesha, uh, and has a H in the coda, yeah? Yeah. We could say, number one rule, if the H is in coda, the previous vowel gets nasalized. Okay. Right. Um, I don't have a nasal e, so just I'm just going to call it an a for the sake, Bill. Please forgive me. Gotcha. Um, but if it's an onset, we can decide which way it goes. Absolutely. There you go. Gotcha. So we can have one rule that ensures we get to shensha, and another rule to see what happens uh, when it's in onset, or I would say actually intervocalically in between two vowels. Yeah. It's probably a better way of defining it. So we, yes. So yes. shensha or shensha. Uh, no, that's not. Impossible, matin, chancha. It's such a horrible, I hate that sound. <laughs> uh, so with that, we can lock in chencha as being nasal. The question is here, right? So naham, naham, or naham. No, naham. Uh, are you leaning towards any of these? Well, I, I did like it with the with the huh sound. Oh, oh yeah, we can totally do that. That can go in all of yeah. them as well. That that's not relevant to all what we're inquiring yeah. about the position of the nasal vowel. Yeah. Uh, no, um, I think I think yeah, the previous vowel. I mean, that is definitely makes for an easier rule. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the one thing. Okay. No. Hum. Yeah. No. Hum. No, but the the. Oh, sorry. The the shesha, you're 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 changing the air to an ah kind of. Uh, only because. Uh, in a, in how I pronounce or how I've typed? Yeah, in how you pronounce it. Oh, that's because I'm crap at pronouncing it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, uh, apparently... It's not, it's, not, it's not really the same as impossible. It's it's more of an eh. Well, according... I did some research and tried to listen to French speakers uh, mm-hmm. educate people on how to pronounce the French vowels. Admittedly, obviously, amateurs and not linguists, so they could be wrong. But the vowel in the word maton and impossible is notated as eh. Which a okay thing. Grand. Uh, now I could just be pronouncing it wrong, uh, but I. Yeah, think... I, I'm I'm basing it only on what I'm hearing, not on any knowledge of French. 
Sure, sure. Um, either way, it doesn't actually matter. Like, you know, our mispronouncing things doesn't actually impact what the language is doing. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's I gotcha. just, It's just a case of, a case of uh, pronounceability. Okay, right. So that's rhinoglottophilia. Uh, I'm assuming based on your, your feedback there that this is cool. You think this is okay? Yeah. Okay. So you, again, you can selectively go through and you can just be like, I want to, oh, I have the word, I have the word bill. No, I don't have the word bill. That won't work. Uh, <laughs> I have the word pa, patan. And you're like, oh boy, I'd really like that A to be a, um, to be a vowel. You'd simply put a H there, pa, tan, and then we can cr- use that to create the nasal vowel. Done. Gotcha. Cool. So you can selectively go through. Um, just real quick, I won't, if we've, if we've idea one locked in, I won't dwell on these because we'll be here till the cows come home. Um, but just real fast for anyone who wants some extra, extra ideas, um, Oh, I do, I do want to hear these other ones, definitely. Okay. All right, well, we'll go slow then. So we have the North, idea number two, North Sea Germanic nasal spirant law number one, right? This is, <laughs> this is a thing that happened with shock horror in the Nor- North Sea area, Germanic languages, uh, where if you had the combination vowel plus a nasal followed by a fricative, right? So something like, mm. for example, if you had tans, if you had a word like tans, uh, the nasal dropped out, leaving behind a nasal vowel. So it went, I think, if I'm correct, it went to pass. Okay? Um, yeah. Why? Only when there's a fricative after the nasal? I do not know. It occurred in the Germanic languages. I don't know why this is a thing. Um, this is a poor choice for us because if you'll see on the spreadsheet, all this red, these are words that would need to be uh, redesigned. Yeah. Because of this. And I was thinking this because, if, again, our only canonical example is Shencha. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Look at that. That's a vowel followed by nasal followed by a fricative. Mm. Maybe this is the same thing, same environment as what was going on in the Germanic languages. Um, but it doesn't do a good job for us, basically. Sure. Okay. Thoughts? Uh, feelings? Yes, here. Yes, here. Test driving. See. I mean, I wouldn't be. Yeah, we've changed quite a few words. Some of them I wouldn't mind, but I, I, I do prefer the first one. I think. I mean, yeah. because the first one gives us maximum flexibility, almost. Um, yeah. And the only word it impacts is Naham, and that's yeah, because you literally have no other H's. If I'm correct, let me just pop over to the words. Control find. Oh, oh no! Oh, don't tell me. I... No, I'm fine. Sorry. Control find. <laughs> uh, H, 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 H. Uh, yeah, you have Naham with a H and then you have Bashin with a H, but that's not, that's just orthography. That's not, um, that's not a H there. That's a sh sound. Yeah. Um, they are the only, that is the only word that we disturb by our rhinoglottophilia. Um, so we should cool. definitely, definitely do that. Um, the idea number three, North Sea Germanic nasal spirant law number two. Uh, trying to get this to be more applicable, I was like, well, maybe I could riff on what went on the Germanic languages and say that if you have a vowel followed by a nasal, followed by a fricative, that is part of the same syllable, right? Mm -hmm. Specifically part of the same syllable, um, that all turns into a nasal vowel, which is, to be honest with you, a stretch, (laughs) So that all, uh, let me write that out, tans, so something like tans ta, a word like tans ta, would eventually turn into something like uh, 
Tata. Okay? Yeah. It's a bit of a stretch. It's not inconceivable. Uh, you know, mm. if, if again, if the French Vant went to uh, Va eventually, you kind of look at that and be like, Jesus, what in hell? Um, this is of the same ilk. Um, but again, it's not as flexible and it also ruins Borsov T. Irens because that would have to be Borsov T. T. Uh, Borsov T. Iran. And you'd lose the NS at the end. So you're radically changing yeah. that, that one word. Okay. Yeah, not as keen on that one as, as the previous one. Exactly. Uh, and the next one comes from this language, which I'm not going to pronounce. It's from Brazil. Uh, and this is just completely, just a non-option, but it's a weird thing I just wanted to put out for people. Uh, apparently this occurred. You have a nasal, right? Nasal, uh, a palatal nasal. So like the Enya in, 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 in Spanish, mm-hmm. followed by any vowel. So like Nya, Nye, Nyi, Nyu, all that sort of jazz. What happened to that was the nasal passed its nasality onto the vowel, right? Mm-hmm. I'll copy this chap here. So we'll say nya went to nya, something like that. And then having done so, uh, the nasality on the nasal dropped out and it just retained its palatal component. So it turned eventually into ya. It turns into yeah. a ya, which is just all sorts of mental. <laughs> like, that is so cool. And it would actually, uh, it would mean that um, anytime we wanted a nasal on a vowel, we'd have to precede it with a palatal nasal. And yeah. oddly enough, it means that all of our sounds, uh, all your words would be unaffected. Completely, <laughs> completely unaffected. But it's, this seems so weird that maybe it's like it only happened once in this one place. And I feel uncomfortable being like, yeah, that's our strategy. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I thought bringing it up was cool because imagine going. But then, from- then like, I'd have to palatalize Tashesha, wouldn't I? I'd have to make Tashesha. Uh, no, you'd, you'd have in protolang in, in Shensha, you could have uh, S, so Sne, uh, Sne, Sia, right? Is how I would envision yeah. it going, right? And that would turn into this whole nasal vowel thing, the Nye, that would just turn eventually into uh, that. Sia. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Say that over again. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess. Turn, that is a yeah. that is a clear strategy. Sure. In fact, we probably will end up doing that. And the same thing with the yeah, 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 yeah. You'd get to sencha, shencha, uh, no problem with that. Mm. Uh, but again, I just feel really weird about that. It's it's it's. I think it's it's a fun thing. I don't know how applicable it is in the general sense. Gotcha. Uh, rhinoglatophilia is the way home. So unless something. Uh, or the way forward, unless something in those other ideas came up when you were like, uh, oh no, we have to do those. We should stick with that. I liked idea three, the nasal spirant law two, the least. Um, okay. Uh, but yeah, I think rhinoglotophilia is the way to go. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, and it's also an established thing, so it's not me making up crap, which is always uh, beneficial. Okay, final thing we need to sort out, and then I can go away mm-hmm. and, and finish nasal vowels for you, is um, what's going to happen to these nasal vowels. Because as it currently stands, you have the ability, by throwing in a H in the coda, to have a nasal version of each of your vowels. Uh, spoilers mm-hmm. for later, you're going to need to have a five-vowel system, at least in the protolang, A, A, E, O, U. The, the vowels you're using basically imply that that has to be the case, right? Which is totally fine. Um, that means that by putting a H after each of those vowels, 
you have in theory uh, created a situation where you have a nasal version of each of those vowels. I will not pronounce them because I can't. But mm-hmm. just, do you see what I mean? Yeah? Yeah. 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 If, if you have five vowels and H's nasalize the preceding vowel, then you're going to have five nasal vowels as well. Correct. Now, the question yeah. is, idea one here, question is, if you have consonant, any consonant, followed by an I, followed by H, that goes to nasal I. We understand this, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Idea one, do nothing. Just allow it that each of those uh, can exist. So you okay. you have a, you have potentially a 10-vowel inventory. Five standard vowels, A, A, E, O, U, and their nasal counterparts. That is a totally valid thing to do if you want, if you would like that. Okay? Idea okay. number one. Idea number two, uh, general tendency in, with nasal vowels is that high vowels, um, high nasal vowels like to lower or can be lowered. Okay. That's a very natural thing to happen. So we could say that originally you had A, A, E, O, U being nasalized, but the nasalized E and the nasalized U, they lowered down to mid vowel. So if I open up the IPA chart for you, just so we can have a look. Uh, nasal E just drops down a step to nasal A. Nasal yeah. U drops down a step to nasal O. Okay? Thus reducing the number of vowels. Because in ge- it doesn't have to be this way, but in general, um, there's usually less nasal distinction than there is for oral vowels. That's kind of a yeah. cross linguistic we tend to find that. Um, so that's option number two. Take your high ones. And over time, they get dropped down. So you end up with a system of uh, uh, and uh, or uh, or whatever. Um, just three nasals. Okay? Okay. You got it? And then yeah. idea number three, again, following on from things that nasal vowels like to do, uh, they also like to raise low vowels. Right? So they like to drop high vowels, but raise low vowels. And that's what's occurring in option number three. The high vowels, E and U, they drop to become mid, A and O, and the low vowel, A, it raises up to go to O. Um, so everything comes a bit more mid, yeah. Quite literally, your only nasal vowels will be your mid vowels, which yeah. is, again, which is totally fine. You, you totally, you, you see that um, every so often. I mean, French is nearly there. It just has uh, a low, the low uh, uh, A vowel, uh, nasalized A vowel. Um, but that would reduce the number of distinctions again. And in fact, it would, you know, it, it would get us closer to what you have, which is you, you currently have a system with one nasal vowel, which we're not doing. We can't do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it would get us closer to that in that you have a system with two nasal vowels, uh, an E yeah. and an O. Okay? And then sure. these other ideas down here, 1A, 2A, 3A, is just at any point we can take the above schema um, and just make the vowels lax which is what you're doing. So instead of having like nasal, um, oh God, I can't do this. Like an A, wait, A, mm, mm, like a nasal A, it would drop to a nasal A, right? Nasal O would drop to a nasal O, which is what you've, you've been doing. So we can we can make these lacks and we'll talk more about tenses and accents na- later. Um, mm. But I bring this up purely to say, don't be put off by the fact that I've notated this with an A sound when... Shencha is, if you see here, with an E sound. Yeah. That, that, that can and will be changed. What we're basically looking yeah. for is only what number of nasal distinctions in the modern lang would you, would you like. The full set, high vowels dropped, or everything squishes to the middle. Um, I kind of like 2 and 2A. Two 2 and 2A. Two 
Okay, now yeah. basically 2A is what's going to happen because again, Shencha is this vowel. Um, that, that is a thing that will happen. Um, so two, two A follows on from from two, yeah. It almost certainly, unless I come up with some yeah. mad stuff that happens. Basically, two A yeah. will be the output of two, yeah. Yeah. So you like that one? I like that. Okay, yeah, I like Good. that one. That is that is almost quite literally exactly French. Not to say that French came from that place. I don't know where French came from, but it's modern uh, nasal vowels is nasal a, nasal o, and nasal a. Sometimes another one as well, depending on where you're from. Uh, cool. All right. Okay. So I'm gonna make a note of that. Do 2A and then do Rhino, do this one. <laughs> I'm not writing Rhino God of Uh Cool. All right, good. That is all I wanted to do um, for today. Just keep it fairly short and fairly simple. Uh, do you have any questions and or things you want me to do next or anything like that? That was your chance. Put questions to me. Um... Hmm. No, I think I think I'm pretty happy with this. Uh, yeah, I did have a, like a little bit like I felt sometimes I I pronounce Shenshaw and I I kind of nasalized the 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 last word the last syllable as well, but that would still be possible with idea too because there's there's a nasalized uh, yeah. in it as well. Um, totally. So that would still be still be doable. Um. Yeah, that's vowel vowel wise. I'm pretty happy. Um, we've a, cool. we've a little bit more to do on vowels. Um, okay, but we can do that next month in a sort of like final vowel inventory. Mm. Make some calls, and then that'll be it. Um, so yeah, as long as you're happy with the with the with the, what the nasal vowels are doing, and and always with the with the caveat that like stuff may and will have to change because as we flesh things out we might find like oh that actually doesn't work so well we should edit that etc etc um so nothing is ever final really i mean when is a conlang mm -hmm. ever done uh sort of thing but uh happiness happiness level is good at the moment correct yeah ah, yeah excellent good 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 um okay uh, i guess yeah i suppose just to reiterate what i what i just said uh next time we talk we'll be finishing off uh proto vowels and their history of getting to your modern vowels. And then we'll start to look at some some consonants. Oh boy, these consonants, they're going to be real fun. <laughs> okay, um, cool. I am going to uh, stop recording. And I'm assuming then we're going to head into um, Green Room. Well, you've got one more thing here. <gasps> oh God, yeah. Forgot about that. Okay. Issue with of as a, as a coda. Yeah, okay. We should talk about this. So, um, the your your names are very like they're very Slavic. Uh, like some sure. might say they could literally be like legit IRL Russian names, for example. Um, which is a little bit worrying to me in the sense of like you end like Bauern te Eintov. Uh, mm -hmm. If I recall correctly, that of is a genitive marker, um, and it means no. like. I think so. In Russian, look it up. I think it is. Oh, in Russian. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in Russian, and the idea being that like why so many names end in of, it's like belonging to, and then insert father name or whatever. Um, and yeah. that's why we get like Eintov and things like well, that. Well, you, you have Ovna is daughter of, and Ovich is son of. Right. Right. Exactly. And then I think yeah, so. The Ov is part of it there. Yeah. And I think ski is an adjective. Um, 
or adjective, uh, adjectiving uh, particles. If you had something like Schletzky, that would imply that, say, Schlet would be like glorious or whatever, uh, or glory, and then ski would make it like like glory. Edgar like glory. That sort of thing, you know. Um, anyway, in any case, like these are legit, like these are 100% real life uh, suffixes, um, which poses a little bit of a problem in the sense of like, uh, should we should we be should we be pursuing not a conlang really but like a future Russian thoughts, as in like using Russian as a protolang and developing that correct complete with yeah. no you definitely don't want to do that no okay and, and so you're okay with the fact that like again names end in of and that like really heavily implies that it's like com- just just legit like straight up Russian. I mean, look, we, we have one example of it happening on a, on a second part of a name, and I think one example of it happening in a, in a forename. I don't think it's it's a huge... Actually, two of it happening in a forename. Um, uh, we also have Hletsky, so we have that ending as well, which is also, again, another... It, it has a... That ski marker, like we said, that has a... Um, it has yeah. a meaning. Um, if well, you, I mean, we, we also have other ones, so I, you know... I think it, I, I'm fine with that. Yeah, if you're fine with that, that that that's cool. Um, and we'll we'll talk further about that because I think it it may be this is perhaps me being a little bit like shoving my own ideas in here, which I'm trying desperately not to do. Um, it may be an idea to go against some of the canon and obscure those like very very um, Russian sounding suffixes. So instead of pronouncing it of, maybe we could do something to the V to make it a little bit different. So that make it make it an F or something, or uh, yeah. But I think you still have off in like Smirnoff. Okay. I think like that's oh, yeah. a still thing. We you could turn it into a W, uh, which I I can't really pronounce either. Uh, so don't ask me to do it. You could do things to like obscure it a little bit, but we'll talk about that down the line. It it all basically okay. goes on how comfortable you are with with having that that combination there. Um, I'm it, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I mean, or to take it to rephrase a little bit to kind of like reframe it. it would you be comfortable if you were making a language and say the way you um turn a verb into a noun is by putting ing after it would you feel uncomfortable in I that get scenario you, yeah do you know what i mean i get you so you yeah. need to, you need to reflect upon that honestly i don't yeah. care and if someone is like oh this is just russian well they can go stuff themselves um yeah. like i don't actually mind but it's just you need to think about that that's the thing you need to do um mm-hmm. Okay, green room. Green room. What are we talking about in green room? Uh, sorry, no. I'll answer my own question here. Can I touch on one of the points we're going to do in green room, and then I'll just leave it to you? Sure. Um, next book to read. Uh, I propose that this book should be Children of Time by, I think the chap's name is Adrian Tchaikovsky. Um, it is apparently... Yes. Yes, I know, I know it, him. Great. It is apparently very good. It's spec bio stuff, so it's it's going to be important to stuff that's coming up on the main channel afterwards. Um, Zidnaf has read this book and has been encouraging me to read it for a long time. He th- I thought it was absolutely great. Um, and I know that Bib uh, wants to read this book as well. Um, so there, there are enough smart people in that sort of cohort there that I think we should probably read this book. Um, so that's the one I, I would like to set unless you have any major objections. I'll go with that. We haven't done any, like, science fiction in a while either, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, I, I read the first uh, first couple of chapters in A&E the last day, and it was good. And it was notable. I was kind of like, wow, we really haven't done 
a whole lot of sci-fi. It felt very different. Um, okay, so Children of Time, it Children of Time, Adrian Tchaikovsky, link in the show notes, pick up a copy and we'll review it maybe the podcast after next. We'll see. Um, sure. Okay, done. You have thoughts on things. What are your thoughts on things, Bill? Uh, well, you we, were, we talked a little bit about Avatar The Last Airbender before. We um, did. And at the time of recording the last episode, I had just the, the final four-parter episode of the series left to watch, oh. which I have now done. And I have oh. even watched the first season of Legend of Korra. Oh, have you have you noticed similarities between the first season of Legend of Korra and Master of Jin? Master of Jin. I mean, a, a little. What do you mean a little? What? Masked bad guy um, claiming to be like a savior of a subset of people shows up randomly, causes havoc. Good guys need to hunt them down in a pseudo sort of detective tale. It's basically like the core of uh, season one. I see your point. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think a lot of things are that, though, so it didn't strike me as... There's there's a very finite set of stories we have as humans. Um, What are your thoughts? I'm intrigued to hear what you think and uh, what you thought about uh, The Last Airbender. So, I think I mentioned before, I made a couple of attempts to watch it, and I found it very difficult to get into. I found it very kind of kiddie um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at first. Uh, But I got to the first like three or four episodes this time and then I was like properly properly hooked like watched the first season in a couple of days um yeah I, I I really enjoy it really um the the world building is a lot more nuanced than it appears at first agree um, yeah fully agree like you know you've got the you've got the, the four nations but that isn't like a monolithic thing and they're they're all like totally distinct and there's no there's no diversity or there's no kind of shades in with, between that like you've got those weird um uh cajun waterbenders living in a swamp in the middle of the earth kingdom uh, i thought that was brilliant um, <laughs> yeah, exactly and yeah i i do have a bit of a, a problem with a lot of a lot of stuff where the heroes um decide they're they're going to be the the more moral characters and refuse to kill the bad guy after the at the end uh, yeah. after killing their way through through hundreds of of like soldiers and lackeys and and henchmen and things uh like well why why does this guy get a pass like he's the worst of them all and you just like murdered his army like why don't you have any moral reservations about that um but there wasn't actually that much explicit on-screen death in this anyway and um, it was it was kind of portrayed as a as a genuine struggle, and it was very in fitting with Ang's character throughout the series that he he didn't want to resort to violence at the end. I mean, I would one hundred percent just to mark the guy. So, so just for anyone clear. for anyone who somehow hasn't seen the last Airbender, spoilers. <laughs> by the way, well, I sorry. <laughs> I mean, the show the show is ancient, so. There's no spoiler warning here, but just just to recap, people, at the very end, that last four parter is where um, Ang takes on the Fire Lord, isn't it? What's his name? Uh, Ozai. Uh, Ozai, who's now the Phoenix King. Ozai. That's it. Yeah. He, yeah. he, he recrowns himself as the Phoenix King. And so, basically, were this not a kids' show, what totally would ha- should have happened is that Ang should have like murdered the bloke. Um, but because it's a kid show, they kind of like couldn't get away with doing that so visibly and to finish off the show like that. So um, 
in what at the time felt like a massive, massive deus ex machina, although Bill, you've more recent knowledge of it, so you might be able to tell me otherwise, um, Aang like gains the power to be able to take away Fire Lord or Phoenix King Ozai's bending, thus yeah. rendering him like a mere mortal and not a threat. And it was kind of, at the time watching it, when I first watched it, I was kind of like, it felt like that wasn't um, wonderfully set up and it really felt like, God, we can't kill him for the 10-year-olds. That's yeah. that's never going to happen. So it was, I, I I think there are, it's a good subset of people who are kind of like, I love Avatar The Last Airbender, but like given what it is, that final bit really kind of like, it has to drop the ball, but nevertheless, a ball has been dropped. There, there was no indication of that skill existing until yeah. that final four-parter, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Bit um, of a J.K. Rowling going on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, I guess, I guess you could be like, they had dropped hints. I think this is in uh, The Last Airbender. Correct me if I'm wrong. They had dropped hints that they were definite like expansion packs, like DLCs to the airbending ability, um, where halfway through the show, bloodbending becomes a thing. Um, yeah. And metal And whatever is going on with that like one assassin guy. What did that one... Who? What? You know, the, the, the guy who shoots rays from his forehead. Oh, God, I forgot about him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I really enjoyed that. Again, the, the diversity to it. It's it's like, okay, so we've got these four kinds of magic, um, but, like, there's there's other stuff going on as well that people don't necessarily know about. There's, like, that woman who just invented bloodbending or <laughs> that guy who sh- shoots explosion rays from his forehead. Um, there's or still t- other mysteries and... Or Toph and the um Oh, when she bending. invents the metal bending. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, I guess there is there is precedence there that it's like this can be expanded upon. Yeah. Um but like I mean that's like if I'm really trying to find uh what pretext? No, that's not the word yeah. for justification. Is pre-shadowing a word? <laughs> I th- is that the same thing as foreshadowing? foreshadow because pre and for yeah 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 you're right yeah sorry yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah that's me really trying to find foreshadowing but i admittedly like i'm stretching like really it was like oh crap what do we do um and it does seem to violate that um brandon sanderson thing of you shouldn't have you shouldn't mm -hmm. create new magic to solve problems for the protagonists you can only Mm -hmm. you should only create it to give them new problems Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. Um, or yeah, that, that's, that's all very fair. Do you remember, I don't know if, if uh, how it ended, did anything happen to Aang at all? Did, it, did this new power do anything to him? As I remember it not really. He's just really like beat up back to the fight, but everything's kind of fine. Did he did he suffer at all because of this? Was there because a downside to finding Gaining this access magic? to the energy bending? I don't think so. No, because I mean, that would have been, I think it's slightly more uh, narratively interesting if like, well, let's say, for example, mm. Ang dies, because that would have been different, right? Because I think I think uh, sacrificing oneself and going quietly into night is a lot different than murdering someone. So if Ang had, um, if Ang had developed this energy bending thing and ha- in, and it's such a powerful magic that it takes away from him, that would have been kind of more satisfactory, I think. Um, mm. And then, like, you're like, season two, there'll be a new Avatar because he's dead and Avatars get reborn, yada, yada. Um, or not season two, show two or whatever you would call it, the yeah. s- the s- sequel. Um, but yeah, it was a case of just, like, he invented this hugely powerful magic and then nothing happened. And it's like, oh, that. Um, 
But overall, the show's great. And the Cabbage Man, Bill. I love the Cabbage Guy. And it's just the guys. <laughs> I liked, I liked the, uh, the, the callback to that in season two, where one of the, the corporations is called Cabbage Corp. In, in, in Cora. In Cora. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. It's so good. Um, and I, I love the whimsy of the, of the, the mashup animals. Uh, like, yeah. it makes no sense, but it's just fun. Like, it's yeah. just real fun. And it's never talked about or explained. It's just like, yeah, totally. There's like a, a six-legged bison thing or a, a, a flying bat monkey. And that's just the way it is. Um, and the, the one time that they they have any kind of focus on a non-hybridized <laughs> yeah. animal, everyone finds it really weird. <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. It's a great show. It's really good. Um, yeah. What did you think of... Oh, God, we're nearly two hours. We need to wrap this up. What did you think of Korra, season one? Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, so w- w- one thing that both uh, series do quite well is they've, they've got well-written characters. And that's something I often, like, historically don't think about that much. Um, it's just, like a flaw in myself as a reader. Um, like, and, yet attention he, to... and yet he writes characters on a monthly basis. Yeah, I don't necessarily think I'll do a great job of it, though. Um, sure, sure. Like, for example, in, in the original series, um, I loved uh, Toph. I thought Toph was was like a really a really compelling character, mm-hmm. uh, not not a, not a nice person, like really really obnoxious individual. But it came from very kind of sensible and logical uh, motivations that she was the way she was. She wasn't a bad person. She was just abrasive and had had a chip on her shoulder, and that caused her to be unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really liked how like Cora is a very very different character to Ang. Yes, yes. Markedly very, very different personality, very, very different motivations. Um, and I think that's it's 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 very well characterized. Um it's a little bit um it's a little bit more mature, because uh, the characters themselves are a little bit older. A lot um, more mature, I would say, yeah. And they like yeah, in in the first one they they acted behave they acted believably like young teenagers. Uh, I mean like and, and Ang was only twelve, like they acted believably according to their ages. Uh, without being annoying, the way I often find children in media to be to be very uh, annoyingly written, um, mm. but here I thought they did a good job of it. Um, and I mean, I'm not interested in romance storylines in general and things, so that I didn't really care about any of that in the first season. Um, but yeah, yeah, they, like the, the way like Cora makes a lot of mistakes and poor decisions mm. and things where you're like, why are you doing this? This is a ridiculous foolish thing to do but it's coherent i i think cora is an example of an extremely good female lead um Mm -hmm. even though i i I suppose i guess the guys there was two blokes two blokes came up with avatar didn't they uh mako and bolan the 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 guys that she's on the the bending team with no wait what are you talking about no i'm on about the people who wrote the series oh sorry sorry yes yeah I think they they're did. dudes, right? And like a complaint so. again of, of Master of Jin was like, this smells a lot like a man writing female parts um, or female characters. Uh, this is, uh, I think, men writing uh, a female character, but I think it's done really well. Um, yeah. I, I think I don't think you could look at Cora and be like, a dude's definitely wrote that like. Um, so I, I I always point towards Cora as being uh, an extremely good example, and I think her character gets better, um, not uh, nicer or not like 
more empathetic or anything. Like she, but it, the development, I think, is is great as as the series go on. I'm a big big fan of her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, are you gonna? I'm assuming you're gonna finish the show uh, because I mean the, the seasons are they are wild. The changes between seasons are nuts. Um, so I'm really yeah. I've heard that they're, they're kind of almost different genres in each season of of Kara. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and they are like the first season is a kind of a self-contained story. It isn't. It, I've heard it doesn't have the long arc that the three seasons of Last Airbender have. No, no. Uh, which is um, cool. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what you um, what you think of the other ones going forward. And obviously, obviously, we need to do a ranking because everyone has a ranking for for Korra um, because of the the whole like um, they're self-contained, so you can very easily rank them. Um, and there's a general tendency, there's a general kind of like, I find that on the internet, people tend to agree on an order. I'd be interest, okay. interest, interested to see whether or not you fall uh, into that uh, into that category. Um, anything else? If not, we've just crossed the two-hour mark, and we try to keep these as an hour and a half to make it an easy live stream or an easy premiere, but I don't think, I think that ship is gone, but we don't want to have the ship be gone for too long. Yeah. <laughs> uh- well, we've just caught, crossed the two hour ourselves. I think with the editing, it'll come in another two hours. The episode, oh, yeah, but it definitely won't come in an hour and a half. I don't think we've no, an half an hour so. worth of nonsense to cut. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think that's everything. Um, Pathfinder are bringing out a book next month that has like bending rules in it for for player characters. So I might play one in in my favorite RPG at some stage, which uh, I will look forward to doing. Um, I, I, sorry, I know I said we should wrap up, but just one more thing. I, I, I'm envious of Avatar because it seems like such a um, um, try. It's like almost like a trope, like manipulation of the elements. Um, it seems like such a simple trope, but like they seem to have been the first one to have really kind of solidified that um, into like a, a thing. Like I, I could totally see Avatar doing. Uh, a Tolkien here in like that Tolkien creates what we think of as elves, orcs, etc. I could totally see avatars creating the vibe of like the sort of natural magic user to be used in that way. It's such a, a perfect encapsulation of the kind of like wielding of natural elements um, that it's just, it's so, it, oh, it's just, it hits the nail on the head and it's mad that it, that it's not something that, um, um, or nothing massive predates it to my mind anyways, um, for something that seems so obvious, you know? Yeah, there's there's no clear kind of thing that that has done the same beforehand. Mm. Yeah, uh, obviously, like I mean, I guess Eastern traditions would would it's because it's drawing on that. So I'm sure I'm I'm sure that exists maybe in the folklore of some I don't know Chinese province or something, but nothing that's kind of like taken it and made a constructed world and narrative yeah. around it, etc. Well, um, it uses a Western conception of of the elements because in in Chinese, I think it's usually five elements. Oh, uh, wait, what are they? Earth, fire, wind, water. No, uh, no, no, see, wind isn't because wind is cheese. So that's kind of more fundamental. So it's, it's earth, stone, wood, metal, fire. Earth, stone, earth, stone, wood. Sorry, earth. No, earth and stone will be the same. Earth, water. Earth, water. Um, stone, metal, fire. No, no. Earth, wood, metal, fire. Earth, water, wood, metal, fire. Earth, uh-huh. earth bending, cool. Water bending, cool. Wood bending, that has cool. That's pretty <laughs> but, cool. Well, I mean, I guess you could kind of like make the trees come alive and like turn into vines yeah, and stuff. Exactly. Ah, okay, okay. 
uh, earth bending, water bending, wood bending, metal bending we have, and mm. fire bending. I mean, yeah, I guess. Yeah, so. Um, like, obviously, it's a westernized, it draws on eastern influ- influences and westernized. Sure, sure, sure. Um, that, that, that's it's obvious anyway great show just so good um bill bill i love you it's fine it's we've gone uh, two hours five minutes we really got to wrap this up i had so much fun did you have as much fun as i did i had a lot of fun <laughs> i enjoyed it uh, um folks i hope you also had as much fun as as bill and i uh we will see you uh next month for you know you know the deal the same shtick um Thanks for watching. Thanks for patronizing. Uh, thanks for everything y'all do. Y'all are great. Until next time. Edgar, Edgar out. out.